and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and I just want to say we're really glad that you joined us today. If you're new to the church, make sure to visit us online at hilltopchurchnv.com and fill out one of the online connection cards. We'd love to get connected with you and just say hello. While you're there, you can also find out more information about the church, get connected with Bible studies, submit prayer requests, and even find other sermons on the website as well. Now, make sure that you have your coffee, have your Bible, and your notepad ready to go, because we're about to get started with today's message. Um, the Apostle Peter wrote this second letter that we've been looking at for, this is uh, three weeks now. It's kind of giving Kurt a little break here. Um, we're going to return to Revelation at, right after this. But he wrote this letter uh, in A.D. 64 to 67 A.D. in that time frame uh, to churches in modern day uh, Turkey. And these were churches that were living in a world that was going crazy, kind of like ours. Uh, they were facing persecution, difficult times. They were under assault by false teachers who were already undermining uh, the truth about Jesus. And Peter reminds us in this letter that a top priority for all of us needs to be to grow to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, in the, and it's something that we're to make every effort to do so. Now that almost seems like a contradiction in terms. We depend upon the Holy Spirit, but yet we make every effort to do so. And it's not a contradiction at all. kind of reminds me of that, that example that the Apostle Peter had just etched into his experience when Jesus on the, the Sea of Galilee asked him to get out of the boat in the middle of a storm. And he did. And he walked on the water as long as he looked at Jesus, right? And, and so he needed to trust Jesus and act. He needed to get out of the boat. But the moment he started depending on himself, whoop, down he went. And it's, it's that kind of seeming contradiction in which we live, too. We're to trust God in faith and the Holy Spirit, uh, but also make every effort to grow. In chapter 1 of 2 Peter, uh, Peter reminded us to remember and grow. Remember who Christ has made us and that he has given us everything. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. We don't have to wait. We don't have to uh, expect anything else. He's, we have got it all. We just put it to use. And the chapter we looked at last week, chapter 2, we were reminded to discern and grow because there's all kinds of false teachings about Jesus. Uh, there's almost like a fog of misinformation and misleading messages that surround us and we need to be discerning, not scared, discerning. And in this chapter, he reminds us of Jesus' return, that that's a fact. It's a fact that we are to be waiting for and growing while we're waiting. And so what that looks like and how Jesus' certain a return should affect our priorities is what this chapter is all about. So let's, let's uh, talk to the Lord. Lord Jesus, we love you. We're just so thankful for what you did in each of our lives and we can recall what it is to bring us to faith in you. 
we're so thankful for bringing us from death to life, for giving us everything concerning life and godliness. We just ask that as a result of this letter and its impact on our life, that we would grow um, even more than before, that we would address issues in our life that are kind of keeping us from growing at times, and, and that we would grow individually and together. Lord, we pray for um, Cassandra's family, uh, for Evan, for Bobby and Anna, for the, uh, the Gerard family and Jones family, and for uh, uh, our, our family in Christ at Pax Christian Church. Just bring them the comfort that only you can bring. And we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, since we're looking at a whole chapter, we're going to keep moving, right? And so we'll have to take it in little chunks. We'll look at uh, uh, the first two verses where Peter reminds us why he's writing. Dear friends, this is now the second letter I've written to you. In both letters, I want to develop a genuine understanding with a reminder so that you can remember the words previously spoken by the holy prophets and the command of our Lord and Savior given through your apostles. Now, he, this is the second letter that he's written, and he, and he says his purpose is he wants to develop a genuine understanding with a reminder. The NIV translates this phrase as uh, he's writing reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. This should affect our thinking, and then our priorities, and then our actions. And uh, spending time in God's Word is where that whole process begins. That the spending time in God's word is so important. Uh, and, and not only just reading it. It's like, oh, okay, I got to read this. It's, God, what do you have to say? What are you saying to me? And it's usually pretty obvious, right? How do you want me to respond to you? How do we, you want me to trust you? What sins do you want me to address? How do you want me to change? Time in the word is essential for my growth, whether it's for preparing a message like this or not. And, and certainly it is for you, for anybody who presents the word. No one who presents the word can do so without being open to God using it in our lives. In other words, we can't present it with power. You've got to allow God to work in your life first. And um, then this word that's translated genuine and wholesome, genuine understanding, wholesome thinking, what Peter wants to see produced in our lives as a result of reading this letter means tested by the sun. Now that's a term that particularly related to pottery. Pottery in the first century was really important. I mean, it, it was dishes, Tupperware, all of it rolled into one, right? Cooking utensils, uh, bags, all of it. Uh, it was used to transport, to transport and prepare food. Now, some unscrupulous dealers, there were unscrupulous salespeople back then, um, they might try to sell a defective pot by mixing some clay dust with wax. And they would cover up a defect or crack with that. Now the way you could see that, if you were a discerning customer, is to hold that pot up to the sun. 
And that's what God is saying here. He wants us to be open, to hold our lives up to his light and allow him to shine his light in every area of our lives. We shouldn't be phonies. You know, we, we don't have to pretend that we've arrived because we never will until we're in his presence. We should always be open to him exposing areas that we need to change because it's for our good. That's the, the, the result of the wholesome thinking that he wants to uh, produce. Now he quickly returns to Jesus' return. And he begins addressing that in verses 3 through 7. First, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days to scoff, living according to their own desires, saying, where's the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. They willfully ignore this. Long ago, the heavens and the earth were brought about from water and through water by the word of God. Through these waters, the world of that time perished when it flooded. But by the same word, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Now, Peter says that we, he and, and us, are living in the last days. Now, the last days uh, take in the time from Jesus' ascension until his return. That's, that's a long time. And... Uh, he said that because this, uh, during this time, because it, it will last for a while, that um, there will be scoffers that will show up. And they are living according to their own desires. Their own desires are their priority. We would call them the, the lusts of the flesh. They're the, the same desires that we have because we are living in these bodies that have to be redeemed. And certainly, even though we struggle with those desires, our priorities should be no longer to live according to them. And they scoff about Jesus' return. And they say, huh, where is the promise of his coming? Now, the whole Old Testament is full of prophecies about the Messiah. Israel expected the Messiah to come and to return in glory. Now, they, they sometimes got both of those uh, advents uh, muddled together. Uh, but they did expect the Messiah to come. Now, these scoffers certainly didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah, and it had been at least 35 years since Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Plus, there was that crazy story about, oh, the disciples stole his body that was circulating, I'm, I'm sure, at this time. And so they mocked. They said, ha, uh, when is Jesus going to return? It's been 35 years already. And they said, ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. God is nowhere to be seen, right? And at least, I mean, you got to give them credit for one thing. They acknowledge creation. At least they didn't say, uh, ever since that big explosion where order and harmony emerged from chaos... All things have continued for bajillions of years. That's the way explosions work, right? 
order and harmony always naturally come out of chaos, right? That's the way it worked with our kids and, 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 and their, their, their rooms, right? They just wait for that little explosion. And oh, no need to clean it. It's all organized now. But we digress. Um, <laughs> uh, remember, our job is not to change people's minds. Instead, we live out the truth of, uh, we, we speak the truth in love, live out God's love before people who just may be cynical or sarcastic in response. I'm sure you've never encountered that. Now, Peter reflects on two facts that these teachers, uh, these scoffers, are willfully ignoring. Now, Peter is, just like last week, we talked about this, he's a reflective thinker. That's a very Jewish thing to do. Think of the book of Proverbs, right, where there's a statement and then a parallel statement that follows. It's like, here's something to think about. Oh, and here's another insight. Peter thinks that way. And he's saying, here are two things that these mockers are ignoring. First of all, that God created the world. And secondly, that God has already judged the world once. Now, the world was brought about from water and through water by the word of God. In verse 5. And B.B. Uh, um, Keel has volunteered to read a passage from Genesis 1 that explains how God did that. was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening, and there was morning, one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse between the waters, separating water from water. So God made the expanse separate, separated the water under the expanse from the water above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse sky. Evening came, then morning, the second day. Then God said, let water under the, and it was so. God called the dry, dry land earth and the gathering of the water he called seas. God saw that it was good. Thank you so much, Pete. Notice how often water is mentioned there. Uh, God brought the land out of water and surely erosion uh, shaped the, uh, uh, the world before the flood as well as certainly afterwards. And God, so God created the world out of water and he judged the world when sin became so overwhelming. So, you know, he just, he broke his heart. When it became so overwhelming, he, he destroyed mankind, all except Noah and his family. He did that with water. Now, he's, Peter is saying, just as God used water to create the world in which we live, and he judged the world, using water. So, he is going to purge the world from sin and recreate the world using fire. 
And he'll talk more about that in just a minute. And he refers to a time called the Day of the Lord. In fact, he refers to that many, many times in this passage. In verse 7, it's described as the Day of Judgment and Destruction of Ungodly Men. And this is a, a repeat of the warning that he brought in chapter 2, is that evil will be judged. It kind of looks like evil's just going unchecked, but God will judge evil. And you don't want to be part of that judgment. And, and the message is repent and turn to Jesus now and receive his mercy. In fact, remember the, the whole uh, subject of mocking is when is Jesus going to return? That's why he waits. That's why he waits. That's what verses 8 and 9 speak about. Dear friends, don't let this one thing escape you. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Wow. So this delay is God's mercy in action. And, and first of all, Peter begins by reminding us that God's perspective on time is entirely different from ours. Right? When you've got little kids and they're, they're not going to sleep, time can go on forever. But here, uh, he says, a thousand years is like one day to God. That means... This time period that he calls the last days has only been two days long so far. And uh, it's a, a, he reminds us of, of Psalm 90 verse 4 that says, For in your sight a thousand years are like yesterday that passes, or like a few hours of the night. And God isn't just delaying because he's slow or lazy or he's forgotten or anything like that. It's his mercy. It's his mercy. Judgment is going to come, but he's waiting for more people to, to repent. He's making space in time for more people to repent. He, judgment, eternal judgment was meant for Satan and his angels. He, he doesn't mean for any people to join him. Now, clearly they will, because verse 7 states that. So clearly there will be people that will enter into eternal judgment, but it's because they haven't received this gift of mercy from Jesus to turn. Because God's heart is that he doesn't want anyone to perish. Now, that term, anyone, that word, includes people we know and love, doesn't it? Each of us have someone close to us, family, friends, neighbors, colleagues, uh, people that, at our work who don't know Jesus. The reason Jesus hasn't returned is for them. If you haven't trusted Jesus, the reason he hasn't returned yet is for you. He's not willing that 
you should perish. That you should have to suffer the consequences for your own sin. Jesus took those consequences on himself. He paid the price completely. And we are justified. We're made right in God's sight through faith in him. If you haven't believed in him, would you trust him today? That's one reason Jesus is waiting. Okay. You see, sin is, is a bigger matter than we often think. We, we live in a world that just trivializes sin, that, that exalts sin, right? That makes it uh, honorable to, to pursue. Payment for our sin costs Jesus' life. And we will see in these next verses that there will come a day when every last vestige of the world tainted by sin will be completely remade. Let's take a look at verses 10 to 13. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all of these things are going to be destroyed in this way, it's clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for and earnestly desire the coming of the day of God. The heavens will be on fire and be dissolved because of it, and the elements will melt with the heat. But based on his promise, we wait for the new heavens and a new earth where righteousness will dwell. Now, just as the last days include that time from... Jesus' ascension to his return, the day of the Lord, Peter kind of brackets it in verse 10 with its beginning and end. It begins with Jesus' return for those who know him and will end with the new heavens and the new earth. And that's over a thousand years. So that's one day, right? According to uh, God's uh, view of time. And again, since Peter's audience is uh, uh, Jewish background believers in Jesus, they know the Old Testament. They know about the day of the Lord. And there are many references that you can look up uh, on your own that are in your handout. And it's a time when Jesus refines Israel and brings Israel back to faith in Jesus as their Messiah. And where many, many people come to trust Jesus. At the same time, Satan finally gets his his wish. He sets up his, his kingdom on earth and he works through that future one world ruler called the Antichrist and uh, his rule results in almost complete destruction of the world unless God intervened. That's kind of a teaser about Revelation 4 through 19 that we're going to be studying in just a moment. And uh, after this, Jesus said that his return would be like a thief, sudden and unexpected. Uh, in Matthew 24, Jesus states that then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. So Jesus' sudden, unexpected return for believers ushers in 
that time called the Great Tribulation. And, uh, and then it, it, it's going to conclude with the new heavens and the new earth. On that day, uh, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, the elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be Disclosed. Now, these are details that aren't mentioned anywhere else in Scripture about the making of the new heavens and the new earth. The Apostle John in Revelation 21 covers all of this in just one verse. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer exists. Now, God has revealed here through Peter how he's going to do that. Now, I want to take a moment, and, and I don't do this often, but I want to speculate as to how science has caught up with the Bible, particularly in this passage. Now, it's important to remember, I mean, the meaning of the passage is really clear, but it's important to realize that the Bible is not a science textbook. However, since it was inspired by the creator of heaven and earth, science is not going to discover anything that's going to refute scripture. And in our time, science has discovered many things that actually amplify this passage. Um, Colossians 1, verses 16 through 17, the Apostle Paul speaks about Jesus' role as creator of all and the one who sustains creation. Listen to these verses. For everything was created by him, by Jesus, in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. Jesus is the one who sustains all creation, who holds everything together. Now, Particle physics is a branch of science of which I know nothing uh, other, than, other than it deals with atoms and molecules and what, how they're put together and the force that holds them together. And according to particle physicists, the power that holds atoms together is called strong nuclear force. Now we know, based on this verse, that strong nuclear force is a person. Jesus Christ holds all things together, even down to the atomic level. And when he forms the new heavens and the new earth, our creation now is going to be undone and remade. Every vestige of our present creation that's been tainted by sin is going to be undone. Now, Peter had no conception of the periodic table. He didn't know that there were 100 plus elements that were used by God to combine all things together and create everything. He didn't know that. But yet he writes, the elements will burn and be dissolved and they will melt with the heat. Now, we have seen the heat that is produced by nuclear fission. When atoms are split deliberately, can you imagine the heat 
that would be produced when Jesus simply lets go of every atom and then remakes everything brand new with sin gone forever. That's what we have to look forward to. And this is the impact that it should have on our lives. Uh, in verse 11, it's clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait and earnestly desire the coming day of God. We're to live in a way that our lives line up with the word of God. Again, make every effort to do so knowing that we have the privilege of doing things that will last for eternity, that'll last after everything around us is gone. That's incredible. Each of our lives are important. Think about it. If all that was involved with knowing Jesus was our eternal salvation, when we believed in Jesus, we'd simply drop dead. But that hasn't happened. We're still here. That's because God still is working through us. He's not willing that any of the people that we know should perish. And he wants to show his love, his mercy, his good news through us. And we are able to do things in his strength that will last forever. And it doesn't have to be anything on a grand scale. Although if God puts a grand dream uh, on your heart, then go for it. But he said, Jesus says, even a cup of cold water given in his name has an eternal value. So here's the conclusion. Keeping that in mind, here's Peter wrapping it all up for us in verses 14 through 18. Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found at peace with him without spot or blemish. Also, regard the patience of our Lord as an opportunity for salvation, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him. He speaks about these things in all his letters in which there are some matters that are hard to understand. You think? Uh, the untaught and unstable twist them to their own destruction as they also do with the rest of the scriptures. Therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, be on your guard so that you're not led away by the error of lawless people and fall from your own stability. But grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Hmm. So, while we wait, we're to grow. There it is. We're to wait for Jesus' certain return and grow. And we're to, to wait without spot or blemish. See, we've been justified, Romans 5.1 says, through, through faith in Jesus. He's the only one that justified means being made completely right. Having Jesus' right, rightness before God given to us as a gift. There's no way we could earn that. But he says, keep that without spot or blemish. In other words, walk in line with the Spirit. Let him, uh, like we've seen already, let him point out areas of sin, areas that he wants to change because we never stop growing. We never arrive and we should never think that we have. 
and regard the patience of our Lord as an opportunity for salvation. Again, we wake up and we're still here. We're, we're not in the presence of Jesus. We know that that's happened because he's not willing that someone should perish. But that person should come to repentance. And that may be someone that you know. Okay? And again, it's not our responsibility to get them to repent, but we can be kind to them. We can show them God's love. We can share the good news. That's our priority. That should shape our decisions in what we do. And he says, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him. Now, Paul and Peter were totally different guys, yet they were brothers in Christ and friends. Not always friends, but they, they, they ended up that way. Okay? Uh, Paul was a scholar, right? He was a professor type. He was a Pharisee and, and kind of a bookish kind of guy, although he, he was an adventurer too. But Peter was a blue-collar businessman, right? He was a fisherman, ran his own business, uh, just kind of a rough, tough guy. And they are both brothers in Christ now. Paul had to rebuke Peter one time. You can read about that in Galatians 2 where Peter, he caved to peer pressure, right? And he stopped eating with some of uh, Gentile believers when his buddies from Jerusalem showed up and oh, I don't, they're not going to think well of me. And Paul called him out on it. Now, if Peter had been full of himself, he could have gotten offended and stayed offended at Paul. But instead, he received that correction from a brother and he grew and their friendship grew and that should be such an example to us as a family in Christ you know if a friend calls you out and they do so in love receive it and then continue don't have all these fractures in in relationship right and the Lord's delay it, that gives us an opportunity for salvation. That's something Paul wrote about as well. And there's verses you can look up later in your handout. Now, not all of Paul's writings are collected as they are for us, but some of his letters were in circulation. And it's clear that Peter regarded Paul's writings as scriptures. And even Peter said some of Paul's writings are hard to understand. And, that, and I think all of us are grateful for the legacy of Pastor Joel because he uh, uh, he devoted his life, 50 plus years and counting, uh, to primarily the teaching of Paul's epistles, especially. Of course, of course. <laughs> Romans and Ephesians, right? And uh, they are deep. They're so, I mean, it, it, you could easily spend 50 years of your life delving the depths of those letters. Now, it says the untaught and unstable, those are probably the same false teachers that uh, Peter's been calling out the whole time. And it says that they twist or torture. That's what the word means. They torture the scripture. And unfortunately, I mean, that's a whole subject for a whole other message, and I won't go there. But uh, in 30 seconds, I'll cover some real common ways scripture can be twisted or tortured. One is to ignore the context. Okay? You just yank a verse out of context, and there you, you make it say what you want to say. Uh, I mean, here's a dark humor example from Matthew and Luke. Then he went and hanged himself. Then Jesus said, told him, go and do the same. 
right? I mean, you know, that's ridiculous. But, but people do that stuff. They take verses completely out of context and make them say what they want them to say. Uh, another way to do it is to bring your own conclusion to the Bible. I've got my conclusion. Now I'm going to twist scripture to make it say what I want it to say. Or you can elevate some other writing by some other writer and make it equal with scripture and make it say what you want it to say. And unfortunately, the, po the possibilities are endless and they are out there. Okay, And Peter's thought to wrap things up is, he says, since you know all this in advance, that means you know Jesus is returning, you know, you know people are going to mock that whole idea and they're going to twist the scriptures to make it say what they want it to say. And since you know what God's word says, be on your guard. That doesn't mean be paranoid. It doesn't mean go live in your little cocoon, your little fortress. Don't have anything to do with anybody else. Just be on your guard so that you're not led away by the error of lawless people and fall from your own stability. Again, the, the issue is not our salvation, but our fruitfulness. We get to do things that will last forever. That's incredible. That's in, I mean, it's hard to wrap your mind around that. That'll last beyond everything around us when it's all gone. Things that we do, we say, can last. So we, we're not to let the craziness all around us, the, the, the worship of fleshly desires, the self-absorption that's modeled as, as great behavior, the false messages about Jesus, it's not, that shouldn't throw us off kilter. Now, we're in summer, and so we're in the time when people get in the water. And I remember uh, from my younger days, lots of water games that involved knocking somebody else in the water, right? You jump on somebody's shoulder, or you're in a raft, or even a canoe, and then your objective is to push your opponent in the water, right? It's kind of fun. But it's not so much fun in the spiritual realm. Okay? Because we have, there's a conflict like that. Our enemy wants uh, to ruin the fruitfulness of our lives. He's lost the battle regarding our salvation, but he wants to ruin our fruitfulness, tarnish our testimony, and if possible, bring shame to the name of Jesus. And again, we are to be on our guard. Okay? And remain completely dependent on Jesus. In fact, here's the message of the whole letter in one verse. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we're to remember, chapter 1, we're to remember who Christ made us and make every effort to live out his character in us, in the Holy Spirit's strength. In chapter 2, we're, we're to discern all those false messages that are just swirling around us and not be easily swayed from that stability that comes from knowing him. And then finally, in this chapter, we know Jesus is going to return and we wait. And we grow while we're waiting, knowing that God waits because there are people that need to repent. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we are just so thankful. We can think of the people you used and what they said in our lives that turned us to faith in you. 
just ask that, Lord, here we are. We, we want to keep growing individually and as a church. Use us. Use us to help kind of stimulate each other like Peter and Paul did in their lives. Use us to help grow, to discern uh, between truth and falsehood and just to be lights in our darkening world. And please put on our heart those people who desperately, desperately need to know you. And so we are dismissed in the mighty saving name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we're so glad that you are a part of the family.